I've recently heard the term scariant to refer to the new variants of the coronavirus that are giving the media the chance to ring alarm bells yet again, and some public health officials to call for masking again and other precautions. The one everyone's talking about now is called Delta. It was first identified in India, and experts say it shouldn't be too scary to the fully vaccinated, but might be to those who aren't, which is still a pretty big chunk of the people here in the U.S. So what are we supposed to do about Delta? People in many parts of this country are really done with this pandemic. And yet, some officials are saying it's time to start masking again, especially indoors and in crowded places. Others say that's really not necessary unless you live somewhere with a very low vaccination rate. That's the topic of this week's episode of Follow the Science, an exploration of science, medicine, and medical misinformation. I'm your host, Faye Flam. I'm a science journalist and a Bloomberg Opinion columnist, and this podcast is funded by a grant from the Society for Professional Journalists. My first guest today brought some clarity to all the conflicting information and mixed signals about Delta. Her name is Muj Sevik. She's an infectious disease doctor at the University of St. Andrews in the UK. And from the early days of this pandemic, she's been a great source of information for me on the questions people really want answers to, like how the disease spreads, who's getting COVID and why, and what works to prevent it. Here in the U.S., the Delta strain makes up around 40% of cases so far, but in the U.K., it's been the dominant strain for a few weeks now, and so it may give us a little bit of a preview of what we can expect back here. What has changed with Delta now becoming dominant in many places in the UK and I guess sneaking up on dominance in the US? What, how does that change the situation? I think the main feature of Delta variant is that it's much more transmissible than the Alpha variant, which has been the most you know, transmissible variant up until now. But what we're seeing in the UK at the moment, because our adult population has a vaccine coverage of about 60% of two doses, about 85-90% of one doses. So although the infections are really high, we're not seeing much hospitalization or death, which means that the vaccines are still working. But I think Delta variant basically changes the overall pandemic situation because there are so many countries with no access to vaccines at the moment. I mean, there are some countries that was not able to even vaccinate healthcare workers or clinically vulnerable. So that basically makes it much more difficult and for us to globally finish uh, the pandemic, you know, sooner. Yeah, it's that's that is interesting. So in the UK, can they get data on who is getting it and who's getting symptomatic illness and what what's happening in the vaccinated part of the population? Yeah, I mean, we have data basically published almost on a weekly basis. Most of the infections are among unvaccinated, uh, among young adults. I mean, at the moment in England, overall on a daily basis, we have about 250 hospitalizations and about 10 to 15 deaths, which is much, much better than January. It was like we had 
I think, 15,000 hospitalizations in January when we had similar rates of infections. Wow. So it's a huge difference. Is there any way to do contact tracing studies to give people an idea of whether vaccinated people are likely to be somehow spreading the disease or whether it's really being spread within unvaccinated clusters in the population? At the moment, what we know so far is that you know, after one dose of the vaccine, when you have Delta variant, the effectiveness against symptomatic illness drops about 20%. But once people basically get the second dose, it's basically similar to the protection against the alpha variant. So that's the reason we've been basically encouraging people to take two doses. Clinical trials and some observational data shows that people who get infected after being vaccinated, they are generally asymptomatic infection or milder illness. They have much lower viral load and the secondary attack rates are much lower. It's almost like 50 to 60% less. So majority of infection events at the moment is happening among unvaccinated, you know, younger adults. That's where the majority of infections of Delta we're seeing in the UK. That leads to the difference between what WHO and CDC are saying about going back to wearing masks with WHO saying, yes, people should wear masks even if they're vaccinated and CDC saying, no, and people are very confused about that. I mean, there are, I think, two things. I mean, one is, of course, like once you're in, vaccinated, your risk of being infected drops like 60 to 80%. And once you are infected, even if you are infected, your risk of being hospitalized it drops like 90 to 200%, which is amazing, like from an individual perspective and from an you know, overall perspective, because we're not seeing as much hospitalizations anymore. The challenge is if you have really high infection rates in the community, you'll be exposed and vaccines are not curative. So they're not going to eliminate the risk completely. It will reduce the risk. But if you're continuously exposed, there's still a risk of you getting infected. But I think vaccines will still prevent people being hospitalized. So I think it's a very difficult thing to explain to people. One thing I've been wondering is who's going to the hospital now? Since she works in a hospital, she's been keeping track of this. And she told me it's usually younger people who were not vaccinated and also some vaccinated people who are in the most high-risk occupations. I'm also a clinician. We're seeing a lot of bus drivers, taxi drivers, security guards who are vaccinated, but they still get admitted to hospital. That doesn't mean vaccines are not effective. It means that they've been exposed like continuously and vaccines reduce our relative risk. So we're in a very different situation now, but certain settings which were already high risk, even before vaccination, they're still high risk, you know, nursing homes, prisons, certain workplaces, like, uh, you know, people like bus drivers, they're exposed to multiple infections and multiple contacts throughout the day. So, you know, people working in public facing jobs, you know, those working in hospitality, those working in leisure, retail, warehouses, you know, drivers they're particularly at risk. It's not necessarily because of the setting, but because they, there's like an ongoing and repeated exposure. And often like people working in these jobs, they either do maybe more than one job sometimes, and they're exposed like in other settings as well. 
And often they're like low paid jobs. So people also live in deprived areas with crowded households. So that also kind of adds to the increased risk of being exposed to infection. That's the reason I think some of the vaccination programs also need to prioritize people, you know, working in these high risk jobs, but also, you know, deprived areas, which we know that the, you know, vaccine coverage is not very good. Her biggest concern over Delta, she said, is that it could kill a lot of people in countries that have low vaccination rates, something that looks like it could be a big problem in Africa. I think for other countries, especially in Africa, at the moment, things are really dire. I mean, especially in Uganda, South Africa, they're having, you know, their their biggest wave because they haven't been affected much in the first and second wave. So this seems to be the worst one at the moment. And majority of African countries are not vaccinated. So I'm a bit concerned about that. My next guest is Shira Duran. She's an epidemiologist at Tufts University Medical Center. And I contacted her after seeing her quoted in the Boston Globe, saying that even with Delta lurking around, people who are fully vaccinated need not dig out those masks, that there was really no reason vaccinated people in Massachusetts needed one because the vaccination rate here is high and the rate of disease is extremely low. That's true pretty much throughout New England now. Her views actually seem really consistent with a bunch of other experts that I've talked to recently about Delta in that the vaccines do seem to work against this variant, and therefore they still remain our primary strategy against it. The vaccines are absolutely working against the variants. So the public health messaging has some people confused because they're hearing again messages, you know, oh, wear a mask even if you're vaccinated. Oh, wait, maybe you don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you do, but it shouldn't be required. This is like a whole new pandemic. It is so confusing. I agree. And part of it is because if you're the WHO, if you're the CDC, you are speaking to a very broad audience in either different countries or different parts of our country, respectively, with very different things going on. But any individual who is not severely immunocompromised and who is vaccinated, I believe, is still should feel safe making the decision to go without a mask at this time. Okay, yeah, um, you, uh, you were quoted in the Boston Globe saying that there's, there's no real reason for people who are vaccinated to be wearing a mask in I don't know if it was the U.S. or in Massachusetts, but can you um, can you offer a little background on that comment? Since the CDC first mentioned that uh, vaccinated people could shed their masks, there has been this outcry and, and confusion about what that means, because, of course, when vaccinated and unvaccinated people are mixing together in an indoor space, you don't know who is vaccinated. But from a purely scientific standpoint, If you are vaccinated, it is safe for you to go about your business like pre-pandemic times, basically. The next point she made stood out to me because it was something that hasn't been talked about much. She said that public health in this country shifted at the start of the pandemic away from a focus on personal responsibility and toward a more collectivist approach where we're all responsible for each other. And then around last May, we shifted back. And that shift was prompted by the vaccines, by the fact that they had become available to everyone and the fact that they had been shown to be extremely safe and effective. And I think that shift back was inevitable, but it was never announced. It was a political, ethical, and philosophical shift. 
And I think because people didn't talk about it enough, it led to a lot of confusion and a certain amount of outrage. We've moved really without good public health messaging, I must admit on this, from a phase of we're all responsible, not just for ourselves, but for others, right? Stay home, avoid gathering with other families, et cetera, to a a place of personal responsibility. Everyone's responsible for themselves now, not so much for the society at large, because vaccines are available to every U.S. citizen right, right now. So I think that when it comes to vaccinated people and the choice to wear masks, it's really personal. There wasn't a lot of talk about the sort of transition from doing things that were really our obligation, you know, it's sort of our civic duty to the wider community to reducing our own risk. And and that's where I think people are very confused about whether they're endangering other people or being a bad person to go to the supermarket without a mask. I think that's where the messaging falls apart a little bit. And, and we were, were so used to do your part, do your part. You know, we all have obligations toward each other. And I, I think those obligations largely have gone away. And yet we haven't been told. That I'm assuming the risk of me as a fully vaccinated person in Rhode Island with a very low rate, you know, Give, getting a completely asymptomatic case and giving it to someone in the grocery store are, are minuscule. Very close to zero. Extremely, extremely close to zero. You, by getting vaccinated and waiting the two weeks after your second dose to interact with pe- people in indoor spaces without a mask, you have fully com- and completely done your part. Your part is done. I also wonder if there's really any understanding like whether we know enough about masks and their efficacy, especially cloth masks to even put a number on it. Do you think people are, are assuming that they're 100% and you know, that vaccines are the, the thing that doesn't work that well, when the data would actually suggest the opposite, that, that vaccines work really well, masks were not so sure. Maybe some kinds of masks are better than others. Right. So masks, distancing, ventilation, those are tools to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. The, the vaccine is the solution. Is there even any way to quantify how much you cut down the risk to yourself or to others when you wear a cloth mask? Not at the individual level, because every cloth mask is different. Yeah. So there are certainly many studies sort of at a population level, school studies, and mathematical models that have suggested that you know, before and after implementation of masks or with and without masks, masks reduce the overall risk, but certainly nowhere near to the extent that vaccination does. And I think there's also a sense that the, that rule changes are arbitrary. And I think that what a lot of people would like to see is a rationale, you know, why something is changing. And I think you're right to, to give people a sense of anticipating this, like when the hospitalization rate goes down to this, or when the case rate goes down to this, then we're going to change the rules again. And so that it, it would seem like there was always a rhyme or reason and not, not a surprise and also not a sense that it's arbitrary. That's exactly right. And, you know, I try to do that in the hospital where, you know, I'm essentially responsible for rolling out the reopening decisions around things like uh, masks and distancing and, and testing and things like that. And so I do try to forecast the changes that are coming and why and provide a lot of rationale. But I wish that I had similar decisions or similar messaging happening at the state or federal level that I could kind of use 
as part of my, you know, explanation for why things are changing at the hospital level. There's also the, the question of, you know, new, new information or new things being known. And yet people have known for quite a while that the virus was unlikely to spread long distances outside. And that, you, you know, if you're unmasked and talking to your neighbor across the street, you know, the odds were, again, astronomically low that anything was going to happen. And yet people were sort of surprised. I think that they they were led to believe that, in fact, the risk of being unmasked anywhere, anytime was terrible. I think that's right. I don't know if you remember, like, I think there was there were New York Times articles showing pictures of runners and bikers with particles flying out of their faces and hitting the runners and bikers behind them. You know, that was a big thing back in the uh, spring of 2020, right? There was a lot of media hype following those simulation type studies. And then real world data and studies on real people came by and showed that those were pretty misleading, that the risk is extremely low outdoors. And yet in Massachusetts, where she lives, you could be fined for not wearing a mask outdoors, even if you were far from other people. And that rule, which finally went away in the spring, wasn't based on science. And she said when it was lifted, it should have been explained that it wasn't part of reopening. It was because people realized it never really helped. So I wish that we hadn't dropped our mask, outdoor mask mandate in a way that made it feel like it was part of the reopening because it wasn't part of the reopening and it had nothing to do with increased vaccination or decreased cases. It's just something that should have been happening all along. And I don't think that message was clear. Do you think the public health community took that that simulation study that were the pictures in the Times seriously? Or did it was it just that the general public latched onto that and, and public health kind of wanted to go along with what people believed? My sense at the time was that a lot of people were calling their local boards of health expressing fear. So it was it was the people's fear that was driving it, not science. It, it was, yeah, it was it was people being scared and uncomfortable. I think, you know, I heard a lot around those times. We don't hear it as much anymore. I heard a lot about I was walking on the sidewalk and somebody was coming towards me going the other way and they didn't cross the street. And that was inconsiderate. Right. They passed within six feet of me for one second and they didn't put their mask on. Where did that fear come from? Was it from the media? Was it from some extreme public health messaging? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, I do think it does come from a, as I mentioned before, an inability of the average citizen to assess relative risks and the newness of this problem. Do you think that the the reason so many people aren't vaccinated still is related to not getting the right information? Or is it that people, because of their jobs or their their living situations, just haven't had somehow haven't had the opportunity or the wherewithal to get to a place where the vaccine is available? I don't know. I, I think it's both. You know, I talk about vaccine all the time and, you know, on, on the news and everywhere. And, and I write articles and, you know, I'll, I'll go anywhere that somebody will have me to talk about vaccine. And yet I was at the gym not too long ago with, you know, some moms and they said, you know, asked, they had asked, asked me some questions about the vaccine. And, and they said, you know, why don't we ever hear about it? We never hear anything about this vaccine. And I was like, wow, you know, if we're not even getting to 
suburban moms and who who are we getting to yeah so did they by by not hearing anything did they mean they weren't getting the word on how effective the vaccines are or that they suspected there were more side effects that weren't being reported that they were they were suspicious i think it's both i mean they had some very basic questions about the vaccine that, and they said you know they had never heard those answers anywhere really what what did they ask you i'm really curious now I get tons of questions about, you know, what I find to have been a terrible kind of messaging blunder from, you know, starting in December, January about this concept of maybe the vaccines only protect you, but not others from you, right? I mean, that was such a big part of the rhetoric that everyone who knows anything about vaccines said, you know, is not what we expect to be the case, is almost never the case with any vaccine, right? Vaccines protect you and the people around you. They don't just leave you in a state of asymptomatic carriage. And that was such a big part of the conversation. And it was used to justify why vaccinated people should continue wearing masks instead of just saying vaccinated people should continue to to wear masks because there are mask mandates and we can't tell who's who's vaccinated. Yeah, it's sort of what I guess what people call that the anchoring effect that when people right. get a hold of something and that seems to be the case maybe with masks as well that maybe something that that public health has to consider in the future that when you say one thing if you don't qualify it people will latch onto it and it's very hard to unlatch them. That's exactly right. And, you know, the, the usual questions about, you know, fertility and menstrual cycles and, you know, uh, uh, children and, you know, things like that. So, you know, there, there, there aren't, there aren't good opportunities to get those questions answered. If you're, you know, uh, uh, Joe Public, who are you going to call with your questions? Um yeah. You should call your doctor, right? Yeah. Um, but, but I'm getting, but these questions are coming to me from doctors. Well, doctors don't automatically know everything, especially in a fast-changing area of public health. What people do seem to know is that the vaccines still work against Delta, they worked in the UK, and they're working here against all the new variants that have cropped up so far. The experts say that the decision to return to mask mandates should only really happen in places with low vaccination rates and high rates of disease, but that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing low rates of disease and high rates of vaccination in Los Angeles County, which is the one place that recently did urge everyone to wear a mask, whether they're vaccinated or not, at least in indoor settings. And then in places where the disease is rising, in Alabama and Missouri, for example, we aren't seeing any changes in the mask-wearing rules. These different policies are political. People in some areas have more tolerance for risk than others, and some people in areas have more tolerance for rules than others. And maybe that's okay. Science can tell us how risky something might be, but it can't tell you how much risk is acceptable. Thank you for listening to Follow the Science. Follow the Science is produced by Faye Flam with funding by the Society for Professional Journalists. Today's episode was edited by Seth Glicksman with music by Kyle Imperator. You can follow us on Facebook for the latest, but if you'd like to hear more Follow the Science, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix.